Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series from canvas to screen on select Saturdays in March. Enjoy a film that captures the drama and beauty of some of history's most celebrated works of art, including Metropolis, Days of Heaven, and Marie Antoinette at nortonsimon.org. Studios. I'm with a big window above my kitchen sink. And at night, I'd be doing the dishes and get that weird feeling somebody's watching. And I'd look up and there'd be coyotes, as many as a half dozen, watching me. I heard what I thought was the dog eating the dog food, but I turned and looked down the hall. There was a bear who had gotten into the house, and it was eating the dog food. That's LA, people. For all of our concrete and bumper-to-bumper traffic, we have so much wildlife. 4,000 unique species of plants and animals. And did you know, Mumbai is the only other city in the world where big cats live within city limits. So yeah, our mountain lions are pretty special. But the truth is, like a lot of nature in L.A., they're not doing so great. We know that within 50 years, they will go extinct. The solution to this problem seems to be building a wildlife crossing. That wildlife crossing is finally being built, and it'll be the largest one of its kind anywhere in the world. This is How to L.A. from L.A. Studios. I'm Brian De Los Santos. Today, we're unpacking why that wildlife crossing is important not just for the critters, but for everyone in L.A. It's going to take three years approximately to be built. It's going to span 10 lanes of traffic over the 101 freeway in Agoura Hills. It's going to have wildlife fencing leading up to the bridge itself. This is Miguel Ordenaña. And I work at the Naturist Museum of L.A. County. And I'm fortunate to be the person who discovered P-22, the Griffith Park mountain lion, in February of 2012. We met up with him at Griffith Park where he's been trying to set up more camera traps for P-22. It's across town from where the wildlife corridor is actually being built, but it shares a lot of the same species. I don't think I've been to this part of the park before, so this is new to me. This is such an LA thing to do, like come on a Sunday hike or walk, and then you get breakfast or brunch, and then you start your day. Yeah, I'd be, I mean, I grew up around this neighborhood and I'm almost 40 now. But yeah, there's so much for a lot of people to do here. There's tennis courts, golf courses, merry-go-rounds, zoo, Griffith Observatory, and also, of course, beautiful hiking areas, over 50 miles of hiking trails in the middle of L.A. And we share these trails with a lot of cool wildlife, and one of them is a mountain lion. So we're hiking and being with nature. The bushes, squirrels, and hawks point to biodiversity. But not all of us are outdoor experts. So I asked Miguel, for someone like me, what makes L.A.'s biodiversity so special? L.A. is within the California Floristic Province, which is one of 35 biodiversity hotspots in the world that were designated by Conservation International as places that had a lot of endemic species, which are species that occur in one place and nowhere else. So once they're gone from that area, they're extinct. People would think, oh, we're a biodiversity hotspot, let's celebrate. But to be in that category, 70% of 
of that habitat of those vegetation communities are lost. That is the case in the California Floristic Province. So it is something to celebrate and to take pride in, but it's already a little bit too late and we kind of are in catch-up mode now and we need to invest a lot into making things right. A lot of the endemic species Miguel is talking about, they've been here long before humans. Fossils show that L.A. was not only home to mammoths and saber-toothed cats, but also mountain lions over 30,000 years ago. We have a skull that was recently excavated from the Liberia tar pits of a mountain lion skull. They've survived for thousands and thousands of years, and now they're finally meeting their kryptonite. We've been a little bit too greedy, too aggressive with our development, and basically disconnected habitat that they need to survive. City development, like more buildings or freeways, creates isolation, which can cut off the food supply or genetic diversity of these animals. Yeah, so when people think about islands, they think about this landmass in the middle of an ocean, which is a barrier. In this case, the ocean is city. Freeways, that's the barrier. We wanted to kind of bring attention to the awesome wildlife that is here, but also any connectivity issues these wide-ranging animals might have. Deer, coyotes, bobcats, they need more space to find the resources that they need, whether it's food, whether it's habitat to hide under and shelter, mates. We have to kind of think about what are these potential corridors? Where will we get the biggest bang for our buck? Scientists and biologists like Miguel spend years tracking animal habits and studying the data so that when they decide to pull the trigger on an expensive corridor, they can be confident it'll do its job. That's how they came to the wildlife crossing in Angura Hills, is like they use GPS collar data from bobcats, mountain lions, to see where are they really kind of trying to cross the most out of any point along that separation between the Santa Monica Mountains and the Simi Hills. And it happens to be at Liberty Canyon, and so that's why we're building at least the first bridge there. There's a ton of investment here. $90 million are being dedicated for this project. Lots of experts and researchers have been working on it for years. But let's be real. There's other issues facing this city too, right? People could say like, hey, L.A. is known for its homelessness problem. Or other issues like traffic. You know, we've spoken to people on the street and they cite those two things as major issues or concerns they have. And then people pitch or organizations pitch like a wildlife corridor to preserve some of these things that we take for granted, maybe, which is expensive. Securing the funding is not always perfect and easy. So for someone who's like, I like to hike, I don't really care about wildlife, I'm not really interested in like putting my taxpayer money into something that's going to fund, that doesn't really benefit me. What would you say to them? I mean, I wouldn't say it in these exact words that they're being selfish, but I guess I would kind of put it into context and try to figure out and empathize with that person and figure out what do they care about. And if it's just, yeah, I'm a hiker. I just want to enjoy myself out in nature. If you don't have a healthy ecosystem, which includes all these animals that I'm talking about that need connectivity issues, the beautiful park that you like, your favorite hiking trail, will look a lot different. The type of vegetation will all start to look the same because it'll get overgrazed by one particular animal because that predator that was keeping that herbivore in check is no longer there. The area will be more prone to fires. All of these things are all connected. Having 
them understand that connection is critical and doing it in a way that's not judgy and not calling someone out because that's just kind of burning bridges instead of getting partners. This campaign involved schools that were creating schoolyard habitat in areas that were extremely urban and underserved. Even though it's miles and miles away from where this bridge is going to be built, as we brought so many communities along, including the indigenous communities and people of all parts of LA, we're hoping that this bridge is sending a message to the world that wildlife conservation doesn't just happen in Yellowstone. It doesn't just happen in the Amazon. The biggest wildlife corridor crossing ever to be built is gonna be built in LA, in the middle of the city. It's funny because I, I, I'm an immigrant, my parents were immigrants. Like in their hometowns, they were always connecting with nature, right? And they know how to do nature. But when you come to the States, it's not as easy to process because I feel like the media or marketing has always put a sort of like whiteness to nature. And I think that you being a biologist, being someone who's Latino, like you don't see yourself in these spaces all the time and you're creating space, right? And you're like that little boy who like grew up around here and now knows some of the biodiversity here, like you have so much knowledge to pass on to your son. So I asked Miguel, what is it like to be a homegrown biologist working with critters and animals in the city he grew up in? The moment I discovered what a bobcat was, I was already basically a professional biologist. And for me to kind of go through all those hoops just to figure out what was living in my neighborhood all that time was, for one, really exciting. And then the other part of me was kind of pissed off because I should have known that. I should have had that information. Definitely a passion project of mine is making sure that other people get to experience that and, and get to know it without having to get a fancy degree or work at a museum because I think it's everybody's right and um, it just enriches your experience out in these parks once you have a full understanding of what else is out there aside from a park to play ball or have a carne asada. You can do that and I still do that but I also know okay what's that plant and what connection does that have to the ecosystem and how many squirrels really are there out here. All that little tidbits of information could be a game changer for a kid. If they knew those little details, it just gives them a different perception of their surroundings. And yes, I gotta give P22 a shout out for being the catalyst for this campaign and inspiring people of so many backgrounds to care about this issue. Even though he will not benefit from this crossing, he's literally gonna help save his population from extinction. Alrighty, y'all, that's all the time we've got for you today. If you want to learn more about the Wildlife Crossing, we've got a bunch of coverage over on Elias.com. We'll leave a link in our show notes, too. But before we go, I've got one last piece of wildlife trivia for you. You know those classic California black bears that sometimes you see on the TV news swimming in people's pools or attacking the dog food bowl? Well, they're actually imported. In the 1930s, a commissioner for fish and game thought it'd be cool to establish a population here after the last grizzly bear in Southern California was shot and killed in Tahunga Canyon in 1916. This has been How to LA from LES Studios. I'm Brian De Los Santos. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes LA a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Thank you for listening and see you mañana.